Welcome to Educated Conjecture, an Ipsos podcast that combines what the public thinks with what the experts think. Each week, Ipsos's Mike College and Sean Simpson are joined by an informed guest to discuss a current or emerging issue. In this episode, Millerad Adger, Global Service Line Leader for Corporate Reputation at Ipsos, joins Mike and Sean to talk about all things reputation, how it's defined, what companies can do to develop some reputational breathing space, the impact of trust, and the foundational effect of environmental, social, and governance activities. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to Educated Conjecture. I almost said that wrong. Hey, Sean, how are you today? I'm well, Mike. I stumbled over my words right out of the gate. Sean Simpson, uh, my co-host, is with me today, and I'm Mike College. And Sean, it's been a while. Uh, I had COVID, so that was a little bit of a delay in us doing podcasts. But just generally, we've both been busy doing um, our day jobs. That's right. That uh, seems to keep us busy, especially with the end of the year approaching and all kinds of things on on, uh, Canadians' minds from inflation to uh, healthcare system that seems to be self-destructing, watching politics south of the border and uh, across the pond in the UK as well. Oh, and with the the across the pond, you've given a hint to our guest today, which you can introduce in a second. Uh, Can I go first on stat of the day so that you don't steal mine? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Which often happens to us. So here's my stat of the day. I have a stat and then I have a a little rant. 17% of Canadians have changed a purchase or boycotted a product because of environmental reasons. Um, And I use that as my stat because we talk a really good game about climate. You know, right now COP27 is going on and we have all kinds of Canadian officials out there talking about how we're leading the charge and how Canadians are committed. But we aren't nearly walking the talk. Um, We're undecided very much on our path to sustainability. And in a global study that we just released, and I know you're you're writing a piece on this, Sean, so I'm really worried you're going to – I'm stealing your your thunder (laughs) – of – Around a half dozen or so things that rent the you know initiatives to focus on climate change, ranging from government spending on subsidies to higher taxes on red meat and dairy products to um, you know giving more road space to pedestrians and cyclists, and all of these initiatives that can help with climate change, Canada trails almost the rest of the world. Um, so, in a rankings of 34th across them, we range anywhere from the 27th to the 33rd. So, the best you can say about Canada when it comes to our commitment on climate change is we're not the least supportive nation in the world, but we're pretty darn close. And I, I raise that because I know that our guest is going to talk to us a little bit about sort of the corporate side of that agenda. And I'm, I want to uh, sort of juxtapose those two. So, what's your step? Well, I, I was just going to say, Mike, I don't, I don't mind if you, if you steal my stat. After all, I, I always feel like my job is to make you look good. So, uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope we've succeeded in that endeavor. Which is why we don't do video on this show. <laughs> it's a tall order, indeed. Because you would be failing in your job if that were the case. <laughs> so, I'm going to leverage uh, some data from the Anhold Ipsos Nation Brands Index uh, that we conduct uh, here at Ipsos, which essentially has global citizens rate countries on a series of of uh, of attributes and we spit out you know who's who's the best and who's the worst essentially and i am very very pleased uh, to report uh, that uh, canada continues to do very very well uh, in this study uh, and ranks uh, only behind germany 
meaning that we're in second position as having the strongest nation brand in the world. Very proud of that. Um, and and just as a hint of who our guest is, I'm just going to look at the United Kingdom results. And uh, I noticed that uh, they are dropping precipitously in 2020. Uh, the United oh, Kingdom our was guest from the UK. Well, he, he might be. He might be. Um, uh, he, the UK was in second place in 2020 uh, and uh, they've dropped to sixth place. Uh, in 2022, mm. so it's the first time in about a decade and a half uh, that they have not been in the in the top five. So here to explain all of this to us is our guest, <laughs> Millerad Eider. Millerad is the uh, service line leader, the global service line leader of corporate reputation. Uh, and uh, Mike and I have, uh, have the distinct pleasure and honor of working with Millerad on an ongoing basis. So welcome to Educated Conjecture. Thank you very much, Sean. Uh, thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be on uh, your podcast. I, I didn't think I'd be uh, deploying the no comment response quite so quickly uh, <laughs> with regards to your last point, but uh, there we go. <laughs> well, one of the reasons that we we uh, wanted to have Miller out on the show uh, is because uh, Ipsos has uh, just recently uh, released the annual Ipsos Reputation Council report, which is um, uh, an analysis or compendium of over 100 interviews around the world with senior corporate affairs, public affairs leaders, communicators. Uh, and we like to uh, convene the council annually to to understand what's on the mind of of uh, of these business leaders around the world, uh, what are they thinking when it comes to such important topics as uh, ESG, political instability, social activism, and all of the other questions that are keeping them up at night? So uh, we thought that Millerad might be able to leverage some of those insights in our discussion today. But I'm going to start with something even broader than anything that that comes from uh, the Reputation Council of Millerad. And I'm just going to – I called it a softball earlier, but it's probably actually quite complicated. What is reputation? What do we mean when we talk about reputation? Well, I, you probably won't be surprised uh, to hear that there are, there are 101 or maybe even 1,001 definitions of reputation when you go out into the, uh, into the specialist marketplace and talk to consultants and various other individuals who see themselves as uh, experts in this space. Um, and of course, we have our own definition. But I, I suppose when you kind of distill it down to its essence, and that's, you know, when, with the Ipsos Knowledge Centre, you can see our full uh, definition of, of reputation but when it distill it down to its essence reputation is really uh the perceived or experienced difference between what you say and what you do um and i think it applies whether it's you know your own personal reputation you know as an individual in the relationships that you have with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family, etc., but it also applies to a company. Um, the difference uh, uh, being is that uh, within a, within the context of a company, obviously you've got a number of individuals who have to come together in a coordinated and collaborative fashion in order to deliver on whatever promises the company makes. So, yeah, reputation is, I suppose, is what's is is the kind of the net of uh, the difference between you know say and do. Um, and using that very simple model, uh, it doesn't take a great leap to understand that if you overpromise or if you articulate uh, a position on something or uh, an ability to deliver on something or uh, a set of core beliefs or values and your actions uh, undermine 
what you've said, then your reputation starts to suffer. Um, of course, if you over-deliver, equally, if you over-deliver on, 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 on the promises you make, then your reputation uh, is, is nourished and, and extends in strength within the minds of, of your key audiences. So if you really want to, you know, so, and I could talk about reputation being the kind of, you know, accumulation of thoughts and perceptions of a company by those who deal directly with it, as well as those who feel about the company uh, third-hand or hear about the company third-hand or second-hand. Um, but it, that's its essence, and it can be both. It can be both in, uh, uh, kind of rooted in both functional and emotional dimensions. So, you know, you can respect, respect a company for for kind of functionally doing what it says it's going to do, but you can also admire a company because it inspires you in some way. Um, you know, it kind of it resonates with you. There's something about its promises and the way in which it delivers on the promises that touch you as a human being, as an individual. So that that's the essence. You know, and it's, and it's really kind of center at its core is this comparison between what you articulate and how you behave thanks i i uh, i know we're itching to get to the corporate reputation council report but i have I, I can you touch a little bit on sort of the value of reputation sort of the the notion of reputation as capital right i you know if i have a reputation with my kids there's a reasonably good chance i'm going to pick them up when i'm supposed to um but i have a reputation at home, there's very no, less likely that I'm going to do the groceries. So, so how do I turn that into corporations if I'm trying to achieve X or Y, whether it's on the social side or an economic investment? You know, is reputation used in that way? Well, undoubtedly. I mean, I suppose, you know, reputation has always had a kind of uh, financial value in as much as, it, you know, on a balance sheet, it's probably known as goodwill. If you look at a lot of companies, particularly consumer companies, if you look at the valuation of those companies relative to the the value of their fixed and tangible assets, there'll be a there'll be mm-hmm. a, a, a big difference. Now that difference is predicated on on goodwill in all of the forms it takes. Um, obviously, goodwill translating into uh, customer loyalty, the choice of your product over someone else's products. Goodwill in terms of the way in which um, your employees work for you and, and are engaged with what you're trying to do as an organization. Um, obviously, on the balance sheet, it, it is more kind of around what someone would pay to buy that company. But it, but it, in essence, the principles are the same. So back to your point, I mean, in terms of picking up your kids, Mike, I mean, it, you know, I'd also say reputation is predicated on the, this, this, as I've said, this idea of doing what you say you'll do. So if a company does what it says it will do, and it does that persistently over time, then it builds trust. So the same with your kids. I mean, if you if you pick them up when you say you're to do that, um, yeah. and they'll anticipate. If I'm constantly late. <laughs> exactly. I so, get a reputation for being constantly late. Absolutely, and your and your reputation will decline. In the eyes of your children. So the same with the company. And that's why we talk about trust being at the heart of reputation uh, or being a kind of the pivot upon which um, uh, advocacy is built, i.e. the degree to which someone will recommend you as an individual or indeed recommend you as a company, whatever their relationship is with you. You know, as a company, it could be as an investor, as a customer, as an employee, you know, or as an NGO that has to deal with you within that kind of, you know, environmental space or whatever else. So the anticipate, we use this phrase, it's a bit, but the anticipation of persistently positive behavior 
ultimately generates trust. And the reason it does that is because um, you go from a reactive uh, dynamic where, you know, I can be favorably disposed towards you, Mike, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, we go, you know, we... we Bill, I don't pick you up. <laughs> I could, I'm, I'm changing the context now, Mike. I, I don't think it's going to fly if we talk about you picking me up from school or, uh, or, or from, from sports activity. Uh, but, you know, if we, if we go out for a meal and we have a, you know, a good meal and I, I come back from that and I say to Mike, I couldn't meal with Mike last night. That's, that's a reactive form of that's favourability. But if that is repeated over time, then what happens is that I look forward to the next time I'm going to see yep. you. I trust in the fact that we're going to have a good meal, and even better. So that that's where you can get. That's where you can you can use you, you can start to steer consumer choice. You know why should I have brand A rather than brand B? Because brand A has proved with me or company A. Why should I work for company A? Why should I invest? Has proved to me over time that it delivers on the things it says it will deliver on. Um, and of course, the, the the kind of flip side of this is that reputation also has capital value in terms of being something that can protect you to some degree in a crisis. Because say the, t- the next time I go out for a meal with you, Mike, and it's really awful, you know, you're just really, you know, you're hostile, you're disinterested. <laughs> I'm sure this is a totally hypothetical. I'm sure, Mike, this doesn't. I'm sure no one would, no one would lay claim to this. Sean, 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 who I can see. I know this is audio, but Sean, I can see his eyes are rolling a bit, Mike. But you know, uh, all I know is I'm pretty sure the next time I'm in the UK, I'm going to have to buy you dinner now. But uh, just to finish that point, which is that if that does happen, and I see, and when I see what I will actually say, do you know, Mike was off tonight, but you know, he's just having a bad night. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, and that's worth its weight in gold from a corporate reputation point. Because of view. things go wrong. Because things go wrong, and, mm-hmm. and most companies, it's not a magic bullet. It won't. It won't kind of like it won't excuse you. But what it can do is give you some breathing space, whilst because people give you the pen, benefit of the doubt. And they want to hear your side of the story. They want to understand what's happened, what's gone. Whereas if you don't have a good reputation, people may well just jump to the conclusion that, you know, you were to blame or responsible in a negative way from the very beginning. That's great. So let's let's uh, delve into some of the results from the Reputation uh, Council research uh, just released. Uh, are there any sectors that stand out as stars, uh, darlings in terms of a reputation point of view? And then conversely, are there any that are duds or, or lagging or particularly challenged? In terms of sectors, uh, the uh, it's, it's a case of really, the, in many respects, the usual suspects. I mean, energy is always a, a sector that is under intense scrutiny uh, from the point of view of uh, stakeholders and the, the world at large. But when I look at the results in reputation cards, they tend to, they tend to kind of underline what I think is an interesting point is that there is now, if, if you think about it, there's, there, there are no sectors which escape um, uh, 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 examination and uh, 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 have potential downsides from a reputational point of view. So I talk about oil and gas, but I could talk about pharma, I could talk about extractive industries, I could talk about consumer um, technology. I mean, all of these. If you think, if you kind of like, it, it, it doesn't take a big step before you start to look at reputational issues. 
that buffet all of those sectors. So with oil and gas, obviously everyone is looking at the environment and CO2 emissions, etc. But then with technology, people are looking at things like privacy um, uh, 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 issues. Pharma, you're looking at accessibility to medicines around the world. Consumer goods, you're looking at supply chain. You know where are you getting your resources from? Part, you know, kind of the inclusion of palm oil with ingredients and the kind of the the, the impact that that has on, on on environments, particularly in developing countries. So, I mean, they, they tend to move around a bit, but I think the broader point is that everyone has really got to be at the best metal when it comes to reputation, regardless of sector. And of course, where the variance can occur is when. You know, you look at, um, you know, there are companies uh, that uh, uh, invest in reputations and invest in engagement with stakeholders and try and build a point of view or a perspective uh, in terms of the issues that are facing them in the sector. And there's those, those others, um, less so, I'm glad to say, these days, rather than 10 or 15 years, there's others who just adopted a philosophy of keep a low profile, um, don't get caught in the in the headlamps of, uh, of the media. Or the, but, you know, in this connected world we live in, it's it's getting increasingly difficult for, for 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 companies to to kind of just say you know no comment uh, or or indeed to try and hide behind their consumer facing brands. Um, you know everyone can figure out who's ultimately delivering that product or service to you. Yeah, it seems almost impossible, and at your own detriment to be no comment or low profile because you know that there's going to be a. Uh, a counter argument against your company or against your sector for some some reason. I know we talk about taking a side, but you certainly have to have a position and 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 be in the game or else you're you're road. Uh, just I, generally think about the corporate reputation council. Um, given you you touched on on tech and climate, but also there's a bundle of things that have caused some uncertainty from COVID to the war, mm. uh, high interest rates, inflation, vectoring in on a recession, depending on what country you're in. Are they the Corporate Reputation Council generally up or down, positive, negative on, on sort of the outlook of the world? I mean, we didn't ask them the question. We didn't do a kind of sentiment question around how confident they feel about, you know, the future of the world yeah. or, or anything like that. But what, you know, I mean, the kind of things that they are focused on, some things you've already mentioned, Mike, I mean, I think kind of, at a kind of macro political level, you know, obviously, or geopolitical level, what's going on in Ukraine uh, is something that's very much mine. I mean, you know, companies will always focus on those things that disrupt their markets, mm-hmm. um, you know, as well as, of course, the moral dimension um, of, of you know, a, a country being invaded uh, by, by, by another. There are still echoes of the of the kind of the post-COVID environment. You know, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, you know the way in which people behave, uh, the way you know has society truly recovered from that? Are uh, kind of patterns of behaviour returning to you know inverted commas normal? Um, mm-hmm. But also things like inflation. You know, again, you know, this is another disruptor that kind of can uh, undermine. So there's those kind of pragmatic kind of um, uh, 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 or, 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 or things that are kind of obviously of, of concern from a from a, uh, a, a kind of uh, uh, moral perspective uh, in terms of Ukraine. But one of the things that's bubbling at the top is, is ESG. I mean, it's something that we're hearing a lot about, um, you know, an ESG being environment, social and, and governance. Um, because it kind of spreads its it spreads its kind of uh, its uh, impact into so many things now, um, and I suppose that's why it's kind of climbed to the top of the corporate agenda in many mm-hmm. respects. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's got a it's got a bottom line impact. You know, council members, you know, 
you know, most definitely acknowledge that the majority of council members uh, feel that ESG, if not uh, practiced in the correct way, will impact their business. The majority also don't believe that doing ESG the right the right way is going to hurt the bottom line. You know, they see it as a win-win. Really, if you if you can get yeah. if you can get the formula right for your business, and then you can deploy it and execute it in the correct way, then it's then it's then it's a real it can be used to, to use an Ipsos line. It can be a real game changer for your for your business. <laughs> yeah, and and I found it interesting in reading it how foundational they view ESG, which I don't think was the case a decade ago. A decade ago, it was probably more of a, a communications issue and a positioning piece. Um, but it's very much an operational foundational driving the, the center out in the, or should be driving the center in a lot of these places. Yeah, I mean, you know, one just if one kind of steps back and look at the history of of kind of corporate behavior, let's use that that kind of catchall, if you will. I mean, you know, we can go all the way back to what would be what I suppose would have been termed as philanthropic behavior by companies. I mean, that and that could be any from anything from you know, um, I don't know sponsoring a gallery or uh, or you know, do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, opening a, a a home for for uh, for orphans or or you know, all all good and positive things, of course. But and but would tend to have been done maybe at a you know, inverted commas whim, uh, just the, the the judgment of the CEO or maybe a, mm-hmm. a, a small coterie of of kind of lieutenants or whatever. Or, or uh, so. so but then from that we kind of moved towards this idea of CSR, or corporate social responsibility, which um, you know was was saying, well, we, was really saying we've got to have a more structured look at this. You know, we've got to, and we've got to create some functionalism around this. We've got to have some folk in the organisation that can help to develop this. And that was all good. That was a big step forward. But then the, the issue with that was that um, it kind of remains, it almost became a silo within the organization. So, you know, okay, we, you know, our corporate social responsibility is important. Let's go over into that corner of the room where we've got the corporate social responsibility head. Let's have a conversation about corporate social responsibility. Um, fine, but, you know, a progress from philanthropic, philanthropic, which is maybe on a whim and more random, then to, you know, something that was a, a function and structured. But then from that, we evolved to, well, there's some intermediary stages and there's things like shared value, which uh, uh, was in Harvard Business Review about, I don't know, it's probably about 10, 10 years ago or so, a couple of professors from Harvard came up with the concept of shared value. And that's more to what you're talking about, Mike, which is, you know, it's not enough to have this functional thing. We've got to actually, we've got to kind of weave this into the organization itself um, so that you know when the organization does well the value of doing well is 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 applied to a number of stakeholders as a consequence of it being operationally excellent and uh, achieving all of its strategic objectives and, and all the rest of it and that i think still is an underpinning of where we are now with esg uh, um, the one intermediate kind of theme that, that has obviously arisen is between those two things is sustainability um, so you know, um, so shared value was 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 great, and then but then sustainability was kind of almost like trying to bring all the strands together, um, because you can talk about sustainable in terms of the environment, you can talk about sustainable as a business, you know, sustainable in terms of the in terms of the actions you take, sustainable in terms of your ability to exist, uh, the communities you work in, and right. the communities you work in, absolutely, absolutely. But that uh, that then became kind of that became, and then finally, ESG has kind of has come to the fore. And I think the reason ESG has come to the fore is that ESG is um, almost like a diagnostic that can sit on top of 
sustainability or underneath it, whichever way you want to look at it. It's a way of kind of breaking this big blobby thing called sustainability, which is quite hard to, to you know, where do we start? You know, it's, it's kind of effort. So it gives you these three pillars and then you can break those pillars down into specific behaviors. So in terms of environment, which I think is probably out of the three pillars, the best known and understood across most audiences, general public alike. Uh, but then obviously social um, and, and indeed governance. How do you run your business? How do you conduct, conduct yourself as an organization? And the thing about that is that it allows companies to kind of say, OK, well, this is the three pillars. Now we can start to break those down and start to create targets, KPIs, objectives, uh, whatever you will, you know. I've really enjoyed hearing about the sort of evolution from philanthropy to ESG with sort of yard posts uh, all along the way, Milleretta. It was very uh, helpful to understand that that journey over the last number of decades. Um, you did just uh, touch on it at the end there, but ultimately – you know, consumers have expectations. Uh, they may not articulate them as ESG, but they have expectations. And clearly they want to know and hear about what companies are doing in this space. You know, one of the things that we've asked in Canada by sector is we've asked um, Canadians to sort of rate the relative importance of ES or G, and it actually varies by industry. For example, uh, for banks and financial service companies, G is 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 quite important. It 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 comes as actually the second most most important pillar. But you know what what can companies do around G? You know what can they be articulating around G in terms of 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 saying things that matter to to consumers? Yeah, so I mean, G. Uh, I mean, the, the central and from my perspective, I think the central concept with G is transparency. You know, it's it's kind of um, G is in some respects quite the toughest pillar of all for, for I think from a corporate perspective, uh, because what you're doing in, from an environmental point of view, you know, you want to go out and tell the world about. You know, if you're doing the right kind of things, you want to kind of get that across. The challenge for companies with E is that they can't is to achieve cut through. In a world where we're overloaded with information, how do you get your how do you get your message to resonate? Social again, I think you know uh, when we talk in Reputation Council, we talk about purpose. Um, and being a purpose-driven business, you know. So, the, you know, and COVID showed showed social up large, you know, up large in as much as, you know, companies had to be part of the solution. You know, governments didn't have all the answers, didn't have all the resources. So companies, you know, obviously the, the the most direct and obvious one is pharma companies working on the solution to the virus. You know, uh, uh, but but you know there are other other businesses that were repurposing their production facilities, the brewing industry, you know, creating hygienic packaging and uh, for for ferment, you know, various various things like you know banks being more being more understanding of companies that were in debt or had loans with them, you know, extending those loan periods because they knew that circumstances were really difficult. So companies had to step up to the plate there. Governance, I think, is um, you know the 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 the, the challenge there is that for a lot of uh, organisations, governance can feel like an internal thing. You know, it can it can feel like the structures and processes that we have, uh, and that can be everything from encouraging the kind of behaviours we want to see through things like our core values, through to you know uh, uh, procedures we have when people uh, transgress uh, what we consider to be appropriate behaviour. It can be the amount we pay ourselves, whether that pay you know a, an executive level, whether the pay is 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 in line with uh, with performance, and indeed in line with society's expectations as to what. 
what is uh, what is what is what is uh, uh, you know fair compensation for performance. So I think governance is is in a way the most challenging of the three. And there's evidence that you know uh, you know the, the consumer is becoming more attuned to environmental uh, environmental uh, best practice. Although I would say that even with ESG and indeed with sustainability, we've got to be careful that we don't kind of say that it's going to be the primary driver uh, in terms of consumer choice. And 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 also we have seen in Ipsos there can be a bit of a say-do gap between what consumers say that they would do. Um, you know, but when confronted with three products, A, B, and C, C is the most expensive, but it's got you know fair trade or it's got some form of you know environmental. Will they always go for the? But it tends to be a little bit more expensive. Will they always buy that product? The, well, there are some that will. There's a segment of, of, of your customer base that will, um, you know, um, but there's a lot of your customer base that may not make that uh, make that choice based pure. You know, that's a, that's the a tipping factor when it comes to why you should choose your brand. But I think companies, you know, I mean, you know, I, I do the companies that I admire, and I think are kind of very transparent. Come, you know, I mean, one that's very is known well in the states, but is a global brand, and it's Patagonia. I think is a good example of a company that really, I suppose, is right at the end of the spectrum. You know, it's kind of, it's, it, it, you know, okay, its size, its nature of its activities it may allow it to do this in a way that big multinational conglomerates would find more difficult. But, you know, uh, Patagonia, you know, I'd say there it's a totally transparent organisation. Um, obviously, it's just, I think it's just turned itself into a charity yeah. um, so that it can, so that all of its, or the majority of its profits, et cetera, will actually be, will yeah. be reinvested in those things it believes in. Um, so, you know, the, the ideal, the, the holy grail is where a company really, you um, uh, transparently when i talk about four circles i talk about there's four things a company can do to affect its reputation it could, it, it could the way it talks to its colleagues where the way it talk, company talks internally and the way it behaves internally the way it communicates externally to its customers and stakeholders and the way it behaves externally so those are the only four things you can really change if you're going to change your reputation or even change your performance on esg the way you talk or behave internally or externally, those four things. The best companies in the world, and I'd include, I, mean, I use Patagonia because it's, it's one that just comes to, springs to mind. But I'd say, that, you know, if you think of those as four circles, the best companies in the world, you'd actually only see one circle because those circles would just be stacked on top of each other. Yeah, sorry, Increase, Mike. And, no, I was going to say, I, I agree. And increasingly, um, with access, greater access to information, this thing called the internet where we can search anything, you can't have internal and external messages because you'll trip up, you know, and you can't behave one way internally. One way. So you're, you're bang on those circles. They're not a Venn diagram. They're like literally circles piled on top of each other. If you're doing it well, yeah, and I think absolutely. that's an excellent point. Yeah. And it's a challenge for, that's a challenge for a lot of companies because not many companies have got those circles stacked. <laughs> Neatly, yeah, uh, neatly on yeah. top of each other. Yeah, but but I think the ultimate goal. I love the circle analogy. The ultimate goal is to stack them up and be consistently. Whether you're, you know, talking to an investor or talking to a um, someone in a community in which you have an operation, uh, you know, or an employee, right? If all three of those people hear the same thing, you're, um, um, your goodwill <laughs> and your benefit yeah. of the doubt inevitably goes up because it's consistent and uh, and it's a lot easier to get your keep your messages straight absolutely <laughs> it, and that's a very important point you don't have to recreate i mean so sean says to you mike you know what's the story mike in terms of ipsos and what we're doing and where we're going you, you know the answer you give to should, should really be 
consistent with the answer you give to and I'm not now here I'm not including the kind of tomfoolery you two get into. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so 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 what I say to our CEO I should say to Sean. <laughs> Same message up is down, Mike. <laughs> so Millerad, there are there are no shortage uh, there is no shortage of challenges that are facing the world. And when we ask, we've touched on some of these, What what's keeping senior leaders up at night? You've got war in Ukraine. You've got COVID and a post-COVID culture and a declining social cohesion. You've got inflation, the cost of living crisis, ESG, the war for talent, fragmented media and fake news. Uh, culture wars, polarization, generational differences, etc., uh, etc. Et yeah, I know, I know. I'm always the the, the bearer of, of of good news. <laughs> I'm actually get, getting criticized for that routinely these days. Um, but governments seem either unable or unwilling to to deal with these these things, or they're just lacking solutions. Are consumers? turning then to business to try to tackle some of these issues? And if so, how are our senior leaders responding to that challenge? That's, um, well, the short answer is yes, I think to some consumers are turning to corporate. But, I mean, you know, Mike is probably much more you know, well-versed in uh, in the, the political landscape. But, you know, as we, you know, from what we can see, you know, we see this kind of polarization Politically, along uh, across a number of countries, a number of markets, and I think um, that polarization really, in a way, has created a middle ground, if you will, <laughs> a ground for the you know the reasonable organisation, that centre ground, to be able to kind of look at issues and uh, you know, start to build a, a point of view on on issues. And it, and it's yes, indeed, it's it's, inspe- it's expected by them, particularly, you know, when we look at kind of uh, uh, younger people, I think, you know, when we're looking at kind of, you know, um, you know perhaps not so much in the baby boomers. Um, I'm not sure who's a baby boomer is called, but I won't call anyone that. Well, I am. So Mike is Sean. No, actually, Sean, you're far too young. Absolutely. Gen X, if ever, if ever I saw one. Um, <laughs> But uh, so I think, you know, that, that that expectation is increasing. And again, that segment of your client, your customer base, again, I think sometimes we kind of like tend to kind of apply this to all, everyone, but it's not. You know, there are kind of, in a lot of the research we do, as you know, you know, we talk about public influencers, a subset of the general public who take an interest, uh, you know, who want to know what's going on, et cetera. Um, but what, whatever, what, in whatever way it's happening, I think there is an ex- a growing expectation that companies should should be seen to, to, to become involved. And I think, you know, there are certain companies that embrace that. You know, certain companies embrace yeah. that, and regardless of whether it's economic, whether it's political, um, you know, uh, they will, they will, they will kind of get in there and start to to to, to articulate a point of view. And a part of articulating that point of view is to try and impact and affect public policy, sort of going forward. There are companies that will take tangible action to support those points of view. Um, and at sometimes with the support of the political environment in which they operate, and at sometimes, you know, with with intense criticism uh, from uh, political bodies and organisations and government. Yeah. So 
um, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, I don't think, and I don't think there's turning any turning back on this, you know. So, you know, there are practical things around diversity and inclusion. There are practical things we talked about earlier on, you know, in terms of ESG, you know, kind of how you source your raw materials, you know, you know, whether you're mandated by government or not, whether the regulatory environment requires you or not to do those things, you know, they're the, the, the progressive and, the, and I'd argue the enlightened companies are, are doing things that they know they need to do in order to. Uh, you know, meet those requirements of ESG. So, yeah, I, I think we are in that kind of environment now. I think we're in a bit of a <clears throat> transition. I think early on, some companies, um, to, to your point on goodwill, benefit from their brand goodwill as they moved into ESG because their brands, and then and I'm not going to say this is easy and people are going to yell at me, but doing making your products offers consistent, high quality, doing them on time and at a, at a reasonable price is a lot easier than solving climate change. But that brand goodwill of de- constantly delivering for the best companies is transferred over into, well, then they must be able to do something good on these other things. Because I, as a, as, a, as, a, as a client or customer, I've gotten used to them meeting their promises. So now they're talking about what they're doing on ESG. What's going to be interesting is do corporations continue to deliver or do they become a little bit more like governments where people look at it and then go, well, there's so many factors that they can, you know, and I think governments have, to your point, you know, they're pulled in so many different directions and they haven't focused on um, building reputation, meeting needs and doing things on time, et cetera, et cetera. So they've, they don't have that goodwill anymore. So I think we're in a neat transition. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to ask you about a very particular Canadian thing. I want to get a, a uh, your corporate reputation UK perspective on this. So Hockey Canada, if you don't know the story is the equivalent of Soccer UK, if there's a Soccer UK. It is the governing body of all things amateur hockey, which you can imagine for Canadians, um, who many of us are born with skates on, how important it is, right? Um, But what's happened is, if you don't know the story, I'll be very quick on it, they've basically lost all of their trust and all of their credibility um, because of the way they handled allegations and incidents, because some of them are proven, of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment. Um, they've lost all of their sponsors, they've lost all of their government funding, and they've basically been told, blow up the board and start all over. So what happens, what has happened, it's been very easy and very interesting to see major corporations, I won't name corporations, who've pulled back their fundings. Well, that's bad, so we're not part of it. But I wonder what your thoughts about the risk rewards of companies getting back in to solve issues because it's very easy to support a winner and much more difficult to say, okay, this is a really important institution for Canadians. How do we fix it? And I don't see a lot of corporations stepping up and saying, now that it's cleaned house, we're back in. Even the government's like, now that it's cleaned house, we'll wait and see, which seems to be copping out to a certain extent. If you're really committed to ESG. So just, um, and I'm not picking on those companies. I just mean in general, what do you, what you think about uh, companies weighing in to s- provide solutions as opposed to riding on um, previous successes? I mean, I've, I've said, I don't really know the, the situation. So it's, it's, it's kind of a very, we short, like to keep uh, you on your toes. Yeah. So. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's for those who he, didn't Millerad is never coming back on the podcast. In that reply. <laughs> Millerad is never coming back on the podcast. I, I'm going to have to buy him three dinners now. <laughs> but I think I think what you're talking about is you know there are a couple of things that could in uh, that, that 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 do inhibit um, involvement, particularly when there's been a 
a kind of negative situation. So first of all, within the, the companies that, you know, the, there were people, there are people in companies who manage risk. So, you know, that kind of who, who are obsessed, looking at the radars, thinking, you know, risk assessment situations, you know, what is the relative risk of doing A versus B? Um, and of course, I mean, that's a function within the, within the corporate head office. It has power, but it doesn't, it's not kind of uh, uh, an omnipotent, uh, but it does have, it does have a, a big say. But I do think that um, you're looking exactly. for organizations to be the first mover. Being the first mover carries risk, but it also carries potential great rewards. Um, and I, and again, without knowing the without knowing the the, the situation, you know, it, you know, you, something of the corporate landscape, you know, where you do have organisations that try and break the mold. I mean, where they see a market and try and do something different, you know, they just want to kind of throw the market up in the air a bit and and try and disrupt it and whatever. It's kind of almost those kind of it's almost that kind of bravery that needs to be applied to this situation where you know an organization sees the opportunity that's inherent within that you know but this negative halo persists for a long time uh, and so the corporations i suppose like any institu- institution that may come into the orbit of of this particular association the fear is that there'll be cross-contamination um uh that you know that uh, i'm trying to think of a corporation that has actually kind of you know I can't off the top of my mind think of a company that's or a corporation that's in a comparable situation. But I think sponsors can be loyal. I think sponsors yep. can be uh, can 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 stay with. You know, I mean, you think of uh, 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 you know FIFA uh, recently uh, or UEFA. I'm not sure which was where we tried to la- try to launch a European uh, competition where there would be. Again, the number I'll get wrong, but there was like 12 clubs who were constant members of the competition. So it removed the idea of, for those 12 clubs, it removed the idea of those clubs having to compete and qualify year in, year out. And then there's another four spaces or six spaces for companies, the tier two companies that could compete. And that caused an almighty stink uh, because it's seen as a stitch up. It was seen as, and the clubs that were in the 12 were the richest clubs. Yeah. So they were, and I won't go into names because we don't like to do that if we could avoid it. But they're the richest <laughs> clubs in uh, in Europe. So whether it was in the UK, in, in in England, or whether it was in uh, in France or Germany or Italy or, or whatever else. And for a while, there was uh, you know there was a massive uproar there, and fans were kind of like burning effigies of <laughs> leaders within that organisation or whatever else. But certain sponsors stayed with them. You know, and 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 again, I would rather not go into names, but there were sponsors who stayed with them. And there's others that kind of immediately wanted to jump ship. And I think those sponsors that stayed with them have have have, have benefited from that. Which um, might reputation. be the difference between governments and corporations. Corporations can back out, but governments can't back out of social issues. They can't. I mean, in right. terms of kind of, I don't know the regulatory environment is behind this organisation, so I don't know what it, what the government's role is, vis-a-vis a sporting association. So I don't know how how much it's that's about then to become far more involved. Sorry? <laughs> what it's about it's about to become far more involved. I suspect. But uh, but you know, any organisation that goes through that, I mean, the, the, the biggest damage is, is, is you know we see it time and time again. I don't know this particular case study, but there's that kind of um, the wrong process. And I don't know what happened here, but there's that kind of like denial, prevarication, avoidance, um, yeah, until a kind of epiphany is reached, 
and the organization or the entity finally realizes that it needs to be open and honest and transparent and remorseful and candid but more importantly show what it's going to do that's going to stop that from and we see it playing out time and time again um you know most companies will you know you know don't or i say most is maybe being unfair but you know there are many companies that still will go through that process of 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 denial avoidance prevarication before they will you know and sometimes and it's, a, it's, you know, sorry, go on. I was just going to say there, there's a new risk emerging as well. Um, you know, with if, if you as a company have bought an endorsement or a, or a sponsor, an athlete or a, um, a celebrity in some way, you know, th- there could be a time now where those celebrities turn their back on companies because of their lack of action on certain ESG issues. And, and that, that could really be uh, damaging from a reputational point of view. Yeah, it's a it's a two way process, isn't it? I mean, it's like you know the the kind of the the, the ecosystem of your reputation, if you like, is you know it's, it's kind of it depends on support, uh, engagement uh, from a variety of actors on the stage, and uh, you know uh, your your behaviour will, will 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 impact the the, the attitudes and behaviour of those around you. And as you say, you know it could be a spokesperson that. Um, that kind of like decides I'm not going. I'm not going to stand up and speak for this company more because I, because I can't in good uh, you know in, in in my sense of honor do that. That's one of the reasons we don't have a sponsorship for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, there might be the readership or the viewership as well, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think who the sponsor would be, Mike, if you did have a sponsor. Oh, it's Ipsos. Maybe Millerad could be our patron. (laughs) It's the Corporate Reputation Service Line sponsorship. Brought to you by Millerad. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Do you know what, Millerad? We have taken far too much of your valuable time, but thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I don't know if you have any other questions, Sean. No, I just uh, just to say that I I promise Millerad a sidecar next time I see him. I gotta buy dinner, you get to buy a drink. Sounds like there we should all go. do it at the same time. So, uh, been, well, thank been, you very much. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen, and uh, all drinks and other forms of payments gratefully received. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Millerad. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Educated Conjecture. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of Public Opinion and Informed Insights. If you have a topic you'd like to see covered on an upcoming episode, please send us an email at publicaffairs at ipsos.com. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-A-F-F-A-I-R-S at ipsos, I-P-S-O-S, dot com.